For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night, as I am mourning the loss of of my fantasy football team after Patrick Mahomes just uh, took an arrow to my heart. Uh, just as as many would would say around the league, uh, it was pretty pretty depressing, but. Uh, we, we live on 0 and 2 in this household, but it, it's all good. Uh, I have been going around the league over the course of these past couple of weeks. I have been joined by some excellent people, and I am really excited to kind of wrap up that series of, of conversations with a great guest, somebody that I've long respected for a long time who covers your dreaded Los Angeles Lakers. He's the beat writer and editor for Silver Screen and Roll. It is Harrison Fagan. Harrison, uh, how are you? Uh, have you purchased your hoodie mellow jersey, your hoodie mellow hoodie uh, just yet? I am. I Thank you, Ryan, for that uh, glowing intro that I'm not sure that I can live up to. Like, I feel like I, I appreciate that you really tried to give the hard sell so that Nuggets fans that already hate me wouldn't just like hang up right afterwards. You're, <laughs> you're like, you're like, look, I pers- I like this guy somewhat. So just give him a chance. I, I appreciate that. Um, And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing good. And uh, I completely lost my train of thought with what your question was. But yes, I'm hoodie mellow, well. hoodie, hoodie yeah, mellow in mellow. the building. So, yeah, I, I honestly, the Lakers should sell hoodies that are just like it's the jersey material, but with a hood on it. I feel like that would either sell out or like end up in the clearance rack with very little in between. You know, like that wouldn't be just be yeah. like a moderate seller. It would either be something that like people were storming the Lakers official team store to buy, or it would be something that you know, like you'd be able to get a twenty five percent discount on in the like in the back rack. Well, I think it's something that would actually have sold much better in Denver had he had he uh, donned that moniker when he when he was with the Nuggets. But because it's it's always it's always hoodie weather during during the Denver winter season. You need the hoodies more than we do, I think. Although you know, like we're all babies about like like today it was uh, I think it was like. 70 ish 68 this morning and uh i was like i'm gonna put on a hoodie like I, I i put on my college one you know it was uh that that was too cold for me out in california that is despicable uh this is <laughs> this is just a, a already off to a painful start of lakers exceptionalism this is oh and just, yeah just wait till we start talking about the lakers <laughs> Uh, I have old folks home jokes all all ready to go. We should we should be uh, perfectly glowing here. Uh, before we get started on that, are are you guys working on anything over at Silver Screen and Roll that that you want to promote just off the bat? That's kind of either league wide or, or Laker specific. 
Yeah, so I mean, we uh, we have our Lakers season previews coming this week. So that's like been a thing on both the podcast feed we already started, and then on uh, like on the website we have them coming from a bunch of people who are not me. So if people are like over my voice by the sound of the, by the end of this podcast, then yeah, we have a bunch of stuff just coming previewing like kind of the most in- it's standard stuff, but previewing the most interesting angle that we kind of that a bunch of my writers uh, wanted to write about, uh, you know, regarding different guys' seasons. We have something on, you know. Like like that's coming really good. I think tomorrow it's scheduled for, but on Malik Monk and like kind of the year he had in Charlotte and can his like shooting, is there a reason to believe that maybe his shooting can go upwards with the Lakers considering that he'll probably have much easier shots than he was taking with Charlotte. He had like, I think it was 70 something percent contested or some ridiculous stat like that. Like he just had like a lot of really, really difficult shots with the Hornets and you know, is probably not going to this year in LA. So yeah, we have a bunch of that kind of stuff coming, but for the most part, we're just trying to take it easy and rest up for what's probably going to be a long playoff run again. You know, it's been like for, for us, I mean, you can kind of relate to this because your team, you know, only came up about two weeks short of where the Lakers ended up with, but it's been, it hasn't even been a calendar year since, you know, like they raised the championship trophy and we've covered like two seasons basically in that time. So yeah, we're trying to get some load management in a little bit. I, I 100% agree with you. I've been light on my staff for, for that exact reason that, hey, everybody has been exhausted. Den- like Especially Denver has gone through so many emotional highs and emotional lows during that point. And, and especially this past year with Murray going down, like right after you feel that euphoria of like, wow, Zach Lowe basically penciled us in as his pick to come out of the West. That was great. And, and things just things just fall apart at that point. So uh, we, we are excited to kind of break it down again from a Western Conference perspective. As everybody knows who's tuning into this pod, I've gone through the East non-contenders, the West non-contenders, the East contenders, and now we are going to do the Western Conference contenders with Harrison here. And I have left eight teams for us to cover, and it's going to be pretty in-depth because there's, there's so much to talk about a lot of these teams, and a lot of them are in a similar tier. Uh, plus, I think there are more questions at the top than there usually are with a lot of these teams. Uh, like, is Phoenix legit? Is Utah a paper tiger? Like, is, are the Lakers going to work with Russell Westbrook? Like, I think there are a lot of questions. And, and Denver with Jamal Murray, the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. So there's a lot to cover. We're going to have a good time. Uh I want to cover three teams in this first segment, and I have penciled them in in the extremely unlikely to make the Western Conference Finals tier. Okay, I'm I'm excited for this. Who like because who, who do you have, yeah. and uh, you know who who are we about to get to make fun of for the next you know ten minutes? I have the LA Clippers, who you are no stranger to making fun of. <laughs> That's true. The Portland Trailblazers, who I think you, you're, there have already been some some pretty big uh, jersey edits of of Damian Lillard, some some somewhere somewhere in the ether, uh, and then the Dallas Mavericks are the third team. Yeah, no, I think that that's I think that's mostly fair, especially the first two, because, you know, the Clippers obviously would be a totally different like, you know, many some teams in the around the NBA would be a very different thing if Kawhi Leonard was expected to play like all year and all of that. So, you know, this is still a team that is on paper, you know, with everyone healthy, very much one of the favorites and probably would be close to up there with the Nets and the Lakers and, you know, whatever other should I just say Denver just so that people don't get mad and hang up, Um, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, I think, but the Clippers with Kawhi, you know, and with 
especially him with historically how he's handled injuries, I just cannot possibly imagine that he's going to, if it gets really late in the season or whatever, where he's just going to be like, yeah, let me just jump out there with no lead up time and try to get in there. Just given how cautious he's always been about injuries and and his camp has been, and the team has allowed him to be, you know, in his last two stops, like I just can't see him coming back and risking injury or, you know, to be frank, like even if he does come back, you know, I'm not sure that he is going to be anywhere close to the quiet that we're expecting. And then at that point, it's like, I mean, yes, the Clippers just made the Western Conference Finals, but I believe he was there for most of the run, right? Like he just got hurt yeah. in the in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. And so I don't think that there and there were a lot of injuries, too, in their way and things like that. So, yeah. He, he got hurt, uh, and we're talking Kawhi, like he, he got hurt after or during game four of the semifinals against Utah. And the crazy part about that. He said, I was going to come, I'm going to come back. It's fine. You know, all that. And then it was nebulous from there. Yeah. That, that's, that's why we get to make fun of Utah because they got reverse swept by a team that didn't yes. have Kawhi Leonard for two of those wins. It was unbelievable. Uh, and that so, was like maybe Lakers Twitter's favorite series of the playoffs because they got to make fun of whoever lost. It's just everybody. like, you know, there were, everybody. There, <laughs> yeah, everybody wins no matter what, you know, that's, that's so funny. Uh, so I've, I've been kind of framing this discussion with my previous guests by going over the over under at DraftKings and the ESPN forecast prediction that, that they put out kind of a, a collective pool that, that kind of ranked and, and did different records that, that would have come through. So DraftKings had, LA Clippers at 45 and a half for their win total. ESPN had their predicted record at 45 and 37. They seem to be pretty much in lockstep that this is the team that's going to drop out of kind of that main contender tier because you don't have Kawhi. And and there's such an ambiguous nature of of what his partial ACL tear is going to look like because I don't really know what like how long that that recovery is going to be if it's not going to be for the entire season at all. So like, yeah, there's and just I'm not a, a doctor, lot of questions. but like if you have surgery on it, I feel like it doesn't necessarily totally matter if it's partial versus full, but I, again, I don't know. Mm. Like, either way you're having a surgery on your knee, which is, you know, as people know, it's kind of an important, you know, area for a basketball player. So I, I think, yeah, there that's, those are always a bit of a recovery regardless of what level of tear it was. In addition, during the regular season, Paul George, it's been a long time since he's been kind of the solo option. Like, I I think he's been the first option at various places, but he really is the solo guy when it comes to generating primary offense for his team. Now he's going to be the de facto point guard. He's going to be the de facto scorer. And they have a lot of guys around him and Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, guys like that who... They, they had some really great moments during the playoffs, and I still think it's kind of fair to ask if all of those were real or not. Yeah, and I, I just think it's fair to ask, you know, whether or not those guys can do it over, not about whether it's real, but if they can do that, if they can sustain it. You know, like sure. role players are role players because, it, like, not because they suck at NBA basketball, you know, like they have these moments where it's like, oh, like that was the guy that was a really high draft prospect, or that was the guy, like, that's how he made it to the league and all of that stuff. But, you know, they are not dependable in large part. They don't continue to maintain those highs. So, like, Reggie Jackson can get really hot for a couple months 
months, but also for most of his career, he's been Reggie Jackson. So it's like, you can't necessarily assume that those guys are going to be able to summon those things at the right times and maintain it long enough throughout the regular season. You know, at some point, if you just keep slotting guys, Denver fans saw that, you know, are well aware of how this goes last year, as are Laker, any Lakers fans listening to this, you know, guys can be great when they're like an eighth man or something like that. But if you start slotting them up in the lineup to six, fifth, whatever, you know, at, at that point, they start to really show their flaws as teams game plan for them more and pay them more attention on the scouting report. 100%. Like that, that's a, that's a big Denver problem and it will continue to be while Murray is out for sure. Um, but we're going to see with this Clippers team. I think that they, like a, a 45 and 37 record seems pretty reasonable to me. That's, that doesn't seem outlandish at all. Uh, if they went vastly above that, I wouldn't be surprised because they do have a pretty reasonable formula. Uh, but like they're, they're not a great defensive team uh, without Kawhi. And that's just going to be pretty, it's going to be pretty tough for them throughout the entire time. But another team that's going to be tough to defend is Portland. Uh, Portland, they're over under for DK 45 and a half as well. ESPN forecasted at 43 and 39, closer to 500. This win total seems a little off to me because they always overperform their win total. Like doesn't, doesn't that seem like, uh, like as long as they all stay together, it seems like they should probably win more games than that. See, you went the opposite direction for me. That win total sounded off to me because I cannot imagine them winning that many games because really? it's like we've seen how these trade requests and this like trade nebulousness and this kind of stuff eats at a team before. I mean, maybe Dame is, you know, like the basketball God's gift to leadership on earth, you know, in the NBA <laughs> or whatever. But like, I just, I cannot see how they overcome all of this turmoil and all of this kind of net. Like we just, you almost outside of maybe like the Kobe trade demand in, in you know 2007 or two like early 2007 you know whenever that was how often have we had a, seen a superstar and you know Dame hasn't explicitly demanded out yet but you know when guys are flirting with it they're basically demanding the trade and they're just saying well you know I have a lot of years left on my contract I can't really do this yet so let, let me just try and like hint that maybe you should want to rebuild and get something for me while you can and while I got a lot of years left on my deal and I, I don't know I, I just I've never been the biggest fan of the Blazers formula, you know, just with like the two really small guards. Like, I don't know that necessarily you're going to win a lot that way. If you don't have, you know, other aspects of your game that you can go to. I think we have seen, you know, a couple years in a row, how you can kind of mitigate that and you can really pick on them on defense and things like that. And, you know, Denver saw that last year in the first round, the Lakers, the Lakers saw it the year before in the first round, like you can limit Dame in a playoff series or at least limit how much he can impact winning. And again, the rest regular season is uh, almost a different sport at this point because of how different teams are treating it at different stretches and things like that. But it's just hard for me to imagine them having the cohesion, you know, necessary to really put their foot on the gas. And I, I think at some point Dame is honestly going to get traded this year. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting one. That's one of my big questions about them is, is whether Dame kind of holds their feet to the fire for the year, or if he asks out entirely, uh, because it, whether it, whether it happens or not, like if, if they go 500 to start the year, then I think you could probably see that if, if they go, Oh man, they're, they're seven fifty. They're, they're like, they're 20 and six out of the gates. Like, Oh man, this is a, this is a great team. Uh, they did add a couple defenders, uh, Larry Nance and Cody Zeller, despite the fact that those are like Larry Nance is good. Uh, Cody Zeller. I'm, I'm going to have to talk to my guy, Matt more about him. Um, but we will have to see just how those guys actually 
play cohesively or not. Uh, it just seems like they continue to shuffle their deck chairs. And like you said, their formula, it, it it's good for the regular season, but if you can game plan for that in the playoffs, that seems like a pretty losing formula to me overall. Uh, and I just, I don't see how they change that. It's, it's yeah, until which, they change that they're, they're not fine. going like, anywhere. Yeah. And that's why like over-unders aside, you know, whether or not that ends up being right. Like I just, I, I agree with having them in this group that it's very long odds that they're actually going to do anything meaningful. Should they get into the postseason? I mean, maybe they get a, they catch an upset. They went around, you know, there's, I can see people making the argument for how this goes, right. You know, Dame really likes playing for Billups. It's a breath of fresh air. You, you know, you get some new enthusiasm in the building. Maybe he just like really wants to show that, Hey, I gave it my all. And if we don't win it this year, then, you know, I can go to the front office and I can say, Hey, look, I, we really tried it's just not working you know i i can see the case for all of that stuff i just think that more often in the nba we see it go the other way when there's this kind of nebulousness and turbulence like hanging over the organization and you know especially with just how brutal of a summer they've had on and off the court just in terms of like their fans are essentially ready to like storm you know the the moda center at this point you know like after like a three-game losing streak so yeah i just i don't it's hard for me to see them having even the same level of success that they've been able to have in also, you know, a much deeper West where it's going to be harder matchups night to night, I think, than it's been, you know, the last couple of years necessarily, because, you know, you have the Warriors coming back healthy. Like a lot of these teams got, are going to be health permitting. A lot of these teams are going to be better or the same. And I'm not sure that we can say the same thing for Portland. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can, I could definitely see that. I still think that like even the Timberwolves like, who are going to be not, not that great. They should be better than they were last year. Like those are going to be harder games. And so I'm just using them as an example, but you know, like mm-hmm. there, you know, there are a lot of teams that feel like they've improved at the very least and have made moves where they should be a little bit better. True. Definitely true. Let's move to Dallas here real quick before we take a break. Uh, they're over under 48 and a half ESPN forecast to them at 48 and 34. That seems to be a pretty much lockstep. Uh, there are no questions in my mind about Luka Doncic. Like, he is who he is with the potential to get even better than where he is right now. Uh, the real questions start with who the second best player is and, and where that conversation really goes. <laughs> uh, Chris Dapsporzingis, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., are we, are we going to uh, Jalen Brunson? Like, like what, what's, the, what's the angle here? That's my question. Yeah, God, I hadn't thought about it like from that perspective. I thought about it as, you know, like Luca and the Lukettes or, you know, whatever you want to call them. And like, (laughs) I had not actually put any sustained thought into trying to think about who is the second best player on the Mavericks. And honestly, just that thought exercise for the last 30 seconds has made me a lot less optimistic. I mean, I think that they'll win regular season games. Because incredible. He's still young. He's going to, you know, go foot on the gas the whole way, health permitted, stuff like that. Like young guys, that's just what they do. And he's, you know, I believe he's one of the preseason MVP favorites. He's up there in most books, I think. Like he's going to go for it and try and chase that. And, you know, like all power to him. I, I think the playoffs are going to be a dicier proposition, although he's like, he's terrifying as a guy trying the last two years. I know they've lost in the first round, but it has not been because of Luca. And, you know, I I can understand the art of, you know, 
oh, we're not that worried about Dallas's other guys. We'll just let them get off. Like, okay, good luck. You know, he's going to find ways to make things happen. He's, you know, as incredible of a young talent, I think, as we've had in the league in quite a while. And like, just a really fun to watch one too, just in terms of like the audaciousness of some of his shots and, you know, just like how skilled he is in terms of the different things that he can do. And, you know, the different finishes that he has around the rim, his confidence pulling up. And yeah, I mean, he, the reasons to be excited about the Mavericks almost begin and end with Luka Doncic. Uh, (laughs) And the second best player thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it has to be Chris Stapps by default, but like, he's not good. So I don't know, you know, like, I mean, it might be Hardaway, honestly, if you're looking for guys that you can play in the playoffs and that like can be a meaningful difference maker, it, it might be Hardaway. You know, I, I just, I was never, you know, like even rookie year, there were all these debates about all oh, the Lakers messed up, not taking Chris Stapps and stuff like, you know, when he was succeeding in New York and it's like, I mean, on, on paper, it does certainly look like that now. I just can't imagine a guy with that body type, you know, like holding up over the long term, And, you know, unfortunately, right. it's kind of proven correct in that he's just, he's so giant and he is a skilled player, but he's just had so many injuries and it, it, he's just like slow now, basically. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure you watched that Clipper series with the Mavericks but he looked unplayable you know and that's against yeah. a banged up Clippers team you know that was not playing well to start that series and then um, were able to come back from down was it 3-1 they were down basically it was it was, was uh three it, it was it was three two yes. uh because it was yeah, yeah, it yeah. was 2-0 then 2-2 then 3-2 then 4-3 yes, the other right. way uh yeah, Chris Stapps two, they went down 2-0. That was the big thing. Where they went down 2-0 yeah. at home and everybody was made, especially because they had the dunk picture and all that stuff. Yeah, it was 2-0 at home. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, that was, that was a good time on Twitter. Uh, yes, that was 13, the all-time moment of the playoffs. 13.1 points, 5.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 29.6 from three. That was Chris Stapps' numbers in and that's, seven that's games. That's a stretch big. That's a guy who's yeah. supposed to be a threat from. I mean, it's it's rough. Like you know, I, I'm not gonna. I I don't mean to sound like I'm like excited about his injuries or being right or something like that. It's just like I I don't see how he turns it around at this point. I think like when you have injuries like that and you come back and you're looking like this, you know, at his size, I, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of optimism that that is going to turn out great for the Mavericks. I think they may have done almost the um the uh like almost the anthony davis thing in new orleans where you try to bring in too many like win now players too early in your star's career and like those gambles don't pan out and then it's like you're kind of stuck in this mediocrity area yeah they they had to be sure about chris Stapps with with the amount of draft capital and then the max contract that they gave him coming off of an acl tear they had to be sure and it has not worked out. And the fact that it hasn't worked out has just been debilitating for them. And, and like, like, look, the rest of their supporting cast is what it is. Like if Chris Stapps was a, a second best player on a championship team caliber, it would be fine. They'd be able to get by. They, they, it feels a lot like Denver's roster in a way. Uh, not really, but kind of, uh, there's like, there's this whole Michael Porter Jr. Factor you don't have to like, be nice to them. It's okay. Uh, they also kind of suck defensively. And that's, that's the thing that like separates Denver and Dallas. A lot of people like to compare Jokic and Luca, but Luca actually like is really bad defensively. And, and he was just absolutely taken apart by Kawhi in that where he couldn't hide in any situation at all. So 
I don't Kawhi's have good at a, that. Kawhi is like a serial yeah. killer at that matchup hunting <laughs> stuff. Like he he's uh, incredible at it. Yeah. No, he uh should it on a more against the nuggets when they, when they, uh, when they <laughs> came back three, one against them. Uh, I just don't, I don't see it with Dallas. I don't see how they get better. I don't see which and player from theirs, like, like actually exceeds their potential by an ex- extraordinary amount. And we also haven't even discussed maybe the biggest elephant in the room with them is that, you know, they may have downgraded at head coach. You know, it's not, a, it certainly seems unlike that they upgraded, you know, considering that Carla, I mean, yeah. they obviously upgraded in terms of Luca does not hate their new head coach, which maybe that's all the upgrade you need with the superstar. Not but it's not like Luca was playing bad for Carlisle. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he wasn't loafing it, you know, and like maybe he takes the next step defensively under Jason Kidd. Maybe Jason Kidd learned how to coach winning NBA basketball under Frank Vogel or something like that. We can't, you know, we it's sometimes these guys, they're, you know, you've seen it with Mike Malone, where a guy who even, you know, he, he I think got an, a, a bad beat in Sacramento, but his reputation was mixed coming into taking the Denver job and sometimes guys need to take their lumps and learn and they end up getting another chance and they figure it out and they become a really good NBA head coach um and so maybe that's Jason Kidd but I mean we'll see and he's certainly not Rick Carlisle from like an adjustments perspective and I know that Carlisle has his flaws as well and you know certainly getting your your superstar to hate you is like not great coaching necessarily um but Yeah, I and so maybe that's all that matters is that he doesn't like hate kid. Um, but you know, I don't know if that's enough to consider it an upgrade. And if anything, it may end up being a downgrade. We'll we'll see. Like, I'm not gonna write the guy's like you know fired story before the season even starts. But I mean, I don't like everything. You know, when the Lakers were considering Jason Kidd as their next head coach, like I I consider myself like a little bit of a Jason Kidd coaching tenure expert because I read like everything that was written about those tenures in Milwaukee and you know Brooklyn, and then that's like before Mir and Fader's book about you know Giannis, but also had a couple of chapters that touched on Jason Kidd's time with the Bucks came out. And uh, yeah, I don't know that I'm optimistic that he's going to op- <laughs> upgrade them on uh, on really either end of the floor. I'm open to the possibility that this is a Lloyd Pierce for Nate, Nate McMillan scenario in Atlanta, uh, that they that Trey Young just sort of turns it around. Everybody sort of turns it around. The momentum, the energy just kind of changes. Can you imagine just, how hilarious it would be if Luca came out like at like a maybe not second team all defense level, but like enough that he gets like some mentions in the conversation, you know, like just for kid, he just like did not try under Carlisle. Like that would be the funniest outcome of the NBA season by far is like Luca all of a sudden becoming a good defender this year just because he's trying like. It's almost like Derrick Rose getting a first team uh, or an MVP vote from the from the fan vote this year. That's uh that's pretty close. Oh, those are those I things are both that. similar. <laughs> uh, tell you what, I let's still, take a break. I was convinced that that was parody when it came out. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted <laughs> your break, but yeah, I, okay. I still can't believe that was real. <laughs> uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the rest of the Western Conference, beginning with Golden State, but first. This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, We've been partnered with DraftKings for the entirety of this podcast. They have been a great partner with us. Uh, Week two for the NFL is about to wrap up. They do all of their over-unders. They do all of their money lines. There are so many great odds, and they do same-game parlays for that platform now. 
all of the options that you need for DraftKings, doing some great stuff over there. Uh, and if you sign up, make sure to use promo code MHS when you do. Let them know that you came from us over here. Uh, I know that I've made some money over DraftKings, especially this week, and I think that you probably could as well. So uh, make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up for DraftKings. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here, joined today by Harrison Fagan. Uh, really appreciate you hopping on, Harrison. This is this has been one of the things that I was looking forward to in in this particular year was to kind of get to know you, get to know the podcasting side, and because I think that the Lakers and the Nuggets they're they're going to be they're going to be button heads a little bit as as both of these teams are are running closer to the playoffs. I think. I mean, unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong for one or both of them, then yeah, you would imagine that these are going to be two of the teams that are battling it out. And, you know, but either either one of these playoff rounds are battling it out to reach the Western Conference finals or finals or whatever, you know, even if they don't meet, these are going to be two of the real contenders in the West. 100%. Uh, we do have five teams left that, that we haven't touched on yet. And none of them for this next segment are going to be the Lakers or the Nuggets. We're going to go with the other three teams. I and honestly, full- as a card-carrying Laker hater, I expect you to put the Lakers in this next tier. So, you know, <laughs> kudos to you for the honesty. I, I, I respect it. I, I have long said that a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, if they don't make the finals, would be a disappointment. Uh, this was back in 2019-20. Uh, when I thought that they would be a much lower tier regular season team, but just be dominant in the playoffs. Uh, it turns out they were both. Uh, it, yeah, they're they both great both. regular They're season. like, we'll split yeah. the difference. We'll do both. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, it it yeah. did help that they got a, a five month break here, here or there, but uh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, they, the... they need that this year, you know, like they're, they're, <laughs> LeBron's going to be lobbying the league to shut down this year. He's like, Hey guys, like, you know, our, our guys need a water break a little bit. Hey, like this, this fourth COVID variant is, is looking a little serious here. <laughs> maybe we should, uh, maybe we should. Oh God, too real. Yeah. Too, oh, too, may, this, too. That may not be something LeBron has to lobby the league for. So we'll see. <laughs> maybe the league has to lobby LeBron for it. Yeah, uh, like LeBron, no, we got to shut it down. This is, you know. <laughs> uh, the Golden State Warriors. I... I don't know how to feel about the Golden State Warriors. I have gone back and forth on this team, just knowing that like what they were was this monstrosity to the league that included Kevin Durant and was was a four-headed, fire-breathing monster for so long. Uh, they are not that anymore. But what they are when everybody's at, back at full strength, I think, remains to be seen. The big question with them, how does Clay return? Or when does Clay return? What does he look like? How does this feel? Yeah, it, it's incredible that it has been, you know, two years since KD left now, basically, you know, two full NBA seasons since KD left. And we still haven't seen what the Warriors truly look like without him because, you know, I mean, we've seen what they look like when they're all injured without him, which is a bad basketball team, as you would expect. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, we haven't seen kind of that core that was so good even before him get to run it back out there. And I, I think the tough thing in terms of gauging that, like for me, I honestly am surprised that they're in this group. Like I would have... 
I'm assuming that the, you know, we got three teams in this group, the Lakers and Nuggets are probably at the top, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who is, uh, you know, <laughs> waiting for the surprise. But, um, you know, I would have, I honestly would have had the Warriors in that next group just for pure upside. Mm. We've seen how good these three guys can be together. It remains to be seen if Clay will be that coming off of, you know, two years missed with varying, you know, knee injuries and serious. Like, I, I, I think one of them was an Achilles, right? If I'm remembering. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows what he'll look like, but I mean, hopefully he's mostly, his game is so predicated on shooting that hopefully it's like, you know, not something that's going to make as huge of a difference for him. He's able to kind of still play around the arc and maybe he's, you know, hopefully, you know, he's like 90% of what he once was, but that's still a really, really good player. Um, and you know, I, I just think the upside is there for them, but there's also, you know, as we saw last year, like the floor is pretty low because Steph was, you know, Steph was so good that I, I'm not trying to piss off Nuggets fans when I'm saying, I, when I say this, just like, you know, the, the Warriors, like he would have had an MVP case had he had any help whatsoever, you know, any kind help. of propping that team up and getting them to at least have a record to be in the conversation. You know what I mean? Like there would have been at least a debate. I'm not saying Jokic wouldn't have won or anything like that, but the fact that it was kind of like laughed off as a discussion kind of shows you where their supporting cast was for him. And, you know, they didn't even end up making the actual playoffs. They, they lost two straight plan games which is yeah and Steph was brilliant and so it's just we've seen where the floor is if those like three stars are not all operating on all cylinders at the same time and they don't have anywhere near the supporting cast that they had when uh you know when they were like these three were kind of the centers of it you know pre-KD I tell you with a hundred percent certainty that if the Warriors were a six seed Curry would have won (laughs) A hundred percent. As somebody who had to fight this battle, your like your nihilism about the Jokic, and I just have to say, like as somebody who watched you all of last year, just like your Twitter account was the like text equivalent of an exasperated sigh, just so often <laughs> about the MVP discourse. And I just have to say, like I respect you sticking with it, you understanding that, like, look, everything is going to have to go right for Jokic to have a chance here, because apparently, just like no one wants to talk about him for whatever reason. Um, You know, at least in like kind of the, I guess, more mainstream national media and like everybody wants to give it to anyone else but him. Um, And they're just looking for arguments. So, you know, good on Jokic and Nuggets for just being good enough that they could not do that. But yeah, yeah, it was uh, uh, like when there was like that little bit of, you know, it started to look like the Warriors were going to make a a run possibly for the six seed. They had a little bit of favorable schedule down the stretch. They were, you know, Steph was being Steph and he was incredible like and people started to bring up well you know Steph like drags him up to like a top four seed we got to put him in the I, I was just laughing because I knew how angry you and Nuggets fans were like it's just it's like it's you, you I I got so frustrated for so much of it because Jokic was the ever-present like person throughout all of this conversation and he's, he's the guy that that's looking over his shoulder or, or the the exasperated girlfriend that's looking at her her guy yeah, who's like, checking out somebody else we're like you know Jokic was the girlfriend and like the voters were looking at like literally anyone else who had like a 40 point yeah. game they're like well you know it's James Harden in the discussion now you know he's oh played pretty well since he got to the Nets you know uh like and look I will say as someone like I was I, I was stumping for LeBron a little bit I wasn't saying he was like the runaway favorite but I think that he very much should have been in that conversation with Jokic with Embiid you know early on in the season when all of them were healthy uh but mm-hmm. i mean obviously lebron's injury ended up completely taking him out of the conversation and that's not to say again that Jokic wouldn't have won it anyway but um yeah it's just uh the 
but anyway, to take us back to the Warriors, like Steph was, you know, he was still incredible despite getting like little to no yeah. MVP love by the end of it because his team was not good. Like he's still really, really good, but he clearly needs more help than the Warriors were able to kind of summon for him. And so does Draymond kind of take it back up a notch this year? Is Clay enough there? Are the kind of rookies able to acclimate fast? I mean, the upside is there, but there are also genuine questions. When Clay returns is going to be an interesting question because it doesn't sound like he's ready yet. And it doesn't sound like he, he may not even be ready until like Christmas. And for all of the talk that people have about, oh man, what is Murray going to look like when he comes back? Clay's coming off of an ACL and an Achilles. <laughs> like, like these yeah. are, these are some major questions no, that, on how real, he's going real to health questions. And I think that's where we almost see the bias in the way that this is, this not like biases in terms of insidious, but just like in terms of how we all think of this stuff, you know, like I, because clay is mostly just kind of known as a shooter and like people are like, well, you know, he'll be fine. He just shoots like, you know, you don't <laughs> use your knees and legs for that. Um, yeah. Whereas like Murray, you know, because he's a guy that mixes it up in the paint a little bit more is a little bit more like quick twitch athlete, like kind of guy, you know, know everyone's like well you know he's going to be a shell of himself when he comes back and maybe he'll be that and like you know myself included I think like I have more optimism in you know if I you were to just ask me before we started talking about this about like who's going to look better right when they come back I would guess Clay just because of the shot but maybe you know that could very easily end up being wrong given the severity of his injuries especially given like he's a guy who's going to be moving off ball a ton like he's just going to have to he's going to have to move and split cut and things like that but either way uh DraftKings has him at 48 and a half ESPN forecast prediction, 48 and 34, basically the same as the Mavericks for both of those. But one of those teams has a much higher ceiling. The other one does not. And I think it's fair to say with the Warriors, because we've seen them before, they do have that ceiling, but I will say like they have enough questions with the young guys and with Clay's injury and with how Draymond's going to look and with how Steph is going to look at age 33, age 34. Now I like, Hey, there there's, there's enough here that I think you can, you can start to question a little bit, but yeah, for sure. I, there, there are definitely questions. I just think, you know, I have enough faith in the brain trust there and the competitiveness that I think that they're going to figure a good amount of those out as long as they get decent health. You know, obviously, if Clay comes back and looks like a shell of himself, then we're having the same discussion we were about them last year. But if he can at least kind of a pro- give them something, give them positive, you know, close to all-star level play, maybe maybe a little under that or something like that, then that's really a different, you know, weapon than they had uh, last year. Let's move to Utah real quick, and I want to spend about three minutes on them. Over, under on DK, about 50 and a half. ESPN forecast has 55 and 27. Like, I think they're going to win games. Like, there's no question that this is a team that, look, their formula is going to generate wins in the regular season because they're going to beat up on Charlotte. And I always use Charlotte in this example for whatever reason. Like, they just seem like standard average to below average team. Yeah, I think Zach Lowe pointed Um, that out the other day. Like, we all need to give Charlotte a rest. (laughs) Like, we need to make fun of some other, you know, mediocre to bad NBA team, like, you know, in franchise history. Like, we got to, you know, it used to probably be like a Tuesday night in Milwaukee, but now the Bucks are good, so you can't do that one anymore. Like, we got to find something else to be the stand-in for Tuesday night in Charlotte. Let's go with the Pelicans. That seems fair. That, that seems-, seems very fair. Actually, that yeah. is the perfect example. Yeah, <laughs> Tuesday night in New Orleans. Yeah, let's let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, has, the, has the Utah Jazz, have they shown anything different in their offseason moves, in anything that they've done over the last two years that says, look, we are going to outperform our expectations? Is that a serious question? <laughs> you aren't trolling uh, me? No, no, no. 
No, uh, I mean, just to keep it short, since you said you wanted to spend three minutes, you know, unless you think Rudy Gay was the difference between like true title contention and whatever the Jazz have been doing. Like, no, I mean, look, the, the Jazz are, uh, like you said, they're a great regular season team. I, I just I just don't believe in this group in the playoffs. And I think that that's, you know, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I just, Gobert is, you know, look, we all play it up for laughs sometimes. I, he's obviously a good player. I just think that he is, a very flawed one and one who kind of you need like everything to go right for them to have impacts and playoff games like they can kind of play one way around him and you know they don't they just don't have like another pitch like you can with some of these more versatile superstars or some of these more kind of offensively transcendent even even big men who are like Jokic is almost like the offensive version of Gobert you know like he's obviously probably better on defense than Gobert is on offense I don't know I guess depending on how you factor in dunks and stuff like that but um yeah it's not <laughs> look, perfect look, Rudy Rudy catches the ball around the rim and then lays it up or dunks it like yeah exactly there is, like we don't count his screen assists on this podcast come but on what I, basically what I mean is like the Nuggets can you know Jokic just offensively can get you to a different level like almost regardless of supporting cast out there like he takes you to a certain ceiling, whatever, like the Jazz basically need everything clicking in place perfectly around Gobert just for him to not hurt them down the stretch of playoff games and not have teams hunt them. And I just don't think that that's sustainable. Like he is honestly, you know, kind of the test case, you know, if you were going to create a player in a lab that showed the differences in regular season basketball and playoff basketball, it would basically be Rudy Gobert, like who is, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan on offense and like, you know, obviously a much better defense than DJ ever was, but is, you know, can get exposed in the playoffs. Like we see it. They, they give up threes, like they're prone to teams going small around them. Like he is a guy that you basically have to have every matchup kind of hit perfectly for you to be able to reach like that true title contention ceiling. I think if you substituted like either Boyan Bogdanovich or Royce O'Neal for like OG Ananobi, then I would feel a little bit different about this team because the way that they lost to the Clippers last year, was was Rudy had to do he had to oh, do sorry. <laughs> oh yeah sorry <laughs> uh Rudy had to do everything on the defensive end and if you just add one guy who you can add as like another pivot point to just take somebody away to to just try to kind of hide Donovan Mitchell a little bit better hide Mike Conley a little bit better at the stage hide Boyan Bogdanovich at the stage those guys are going to get attacked consistently and the Clippers they were really good at attacking them and any team that can attack you off the dribble that doesn't need to bring Rudy Gobert into the equation. They are going to get torched consistently. And that's, that's just a formula thing that they aren't going to ever be able to stop in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, I, that is, that is the, like, that's the look jazz fans cannot like it, but that's the book on the jazz until they show that there's something different. You know, that's just, we we've seen this movie so many times before. I don't think that Rudy Gay is the difference between what we've seen before and you know what this is now. Last team that I want to talk about in this segment is the Phoenix Suns. Over under on DK has them at 56 and a half. ESPN forecast has them at 51 and 31. So a lot less than the, the DK prediction for, which is I think interesting uh, for full disclosure. I would have this team with the nuggets and the Lakers, but I want to talk about them separately uh, <laughs> because I think that the Suns, I think that you can justify based off of what they did last year and, as long as they maintain that exact same formula, I think that you can at least justify a little bit. If not everything goes right, for, or if, if something goes wrong for the team that they're facing, they can absolutely 
make the finals again. Like, I think that's fair. Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely they could make the finals again if they play three consecutive teams missing one of their top two players, like, in a <laughs> row. Like, if they get that again, then they could absolutely make the finals. Yeah. I I get frustrated <laughs> with Suns fans because I, I have so many of them, like, tell me, oh, yeah. Aiton, they Aiton were such a form. fun fan base during the yeah. tank years, and it's like, I don't yeah. know if, you know, like, they, the Mad Max-esque hellscape that is Arizona, like, <laughs> figured out internet in the intervening, like, the intervening time, you know, between when the Suns were bad and when they're good, but, yeah, like, they were miserable last year during that whole run. Yeah. It heard takes like eight and outperformed Jokic in that series. And like, oh man, Murray wouldn't have made a difference at all. And Michael Porter, he's like just just a an absolute sieve, which in that series he was, but he also hurt his back in game one, tripping over Faku Campazo. Uh it was it was a really bad situation after Denver just exhausted themselves after the Lakers had multiple guys go down to injury, after the Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard, who's like the perfect player to go up against a team like the Phoenix Suns, where he could just guard Devin Booker or guard Chris Paul and sort of make their lives hell. Uh, there's just well, and a lot. Make, make their lives hell on the other end by hunting matchups and things like that. Oh, yeah. Like, like can you imagine Devin Booker trying to defend Kawhi Leonard in the post? Chris Paul <laughs> getting tired of having Kawhi Leonard switch onto him and post and back him down? Like, there's there are so many reasons to think that the Suns would have faltered against any of the teams that they had faced. And they ultimately did when they faced the final team that was still missing their starting shooting guard in Dante DiVincenzo and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, but they, they got it done because they had the best player. And when you have the best player, you're always going to have a matchup issue. And I just don't think that the Suns are going to have the best player in a series when they go up against the Lakers or in a series where they go up against the Nuggets. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, you know, Denver was obviously a different, like you mentioned, was a different situation without Murray last year. And, you know, I mean, Jokic still was the best player in that series. It was just the gap between, you know, it was like Phoenix had like two, three, four, five, six, you know, like I don't want yeah. to disparage yeah. the Nuggets. I'm not like looking at their roster. No, you're fine. This, but you're fine. Yeah, I mean, they were like, they were starting, you know, Austin Rivers, right? And, you know, they they were just at the end of their rope as, <laughs> as a team at, at that point. And yeah, like to act like, Murray wouldn't have made a difference. I'm not saying, you know, they necessarily win that series if he's like, you know, still hurt or whatever, but that is, I mean, a much different series. And same thing with, you know, the Lakers, obviously I feel that way. The Lakers were up 2 one uh, before AD got hurt and we're looking like they were going to probably take care of that third game. Um, like, yeah, duh, just, like, what are we talking about? You wouldn't yeah. have made it to that point. <laughs> like, gosh, it's just so frustrating, man. So, and like, I, the only thing with the Suns over under that I wonder about is if this is the year where they finally, you know, Chris Paul, that, that was a long run for a guy, his kind of stature and like mm -hmm. his age, you know, I think, I wonder if this is the year that they finally convinced Chris Paul to take the kind of take his foot off the gas a little bit in the regular season to try and save something. So that over under does feel a little bit high to me, but I guess with some of the other young guys, like internal improvement, you know, the confidence boost that you get from kind of showing out on the biggest stages, maybe they, and like the whole, like nobody believes in us literally because nobody believes that our run was legit. <laughs> um, so like, I, I think, um, I mean, maybe they get some kind of like intrinsic boost from stuff like that. And the young guys taking natural leaps for, like Devin Booker is a guy who will get better. Aiden will continue to get better. Um, you know, like uh, like 
they have a number of young guys that will continue to get better. And I think you can maybe expect some progress from that. But I also think maybe we'll see a little bit of regression from Paul, especially in the regular season. I just, I can't imagine they play him like 82 games or whatever it is. I think he's going to miss some here and there. I, you know, we both saw firsthand what those long runs and a short turnaround can do to a team. And they're not facing, I think, quite as short of a turnaround as the Lakers and Nuggets and like those teams faced getting back for the regular season. But it's still, you know, that, that kind of stuff can wear on you. Don't disparage Nick Wright's MVP like that, man. It's just uh, just a little little bit shaky if you're if you're if you're disparaging an MVP candidate like that. It's crazy. Yeah, I uh, love that he was like, <laughs> it's like, oh, Chris Paul should win MVP, but then like every series, it's it's miraculous how no one considered him the best player in any series he played in the playoffs this year. Man, good lord. Uh, okay, tell you and what, look, I, we, I like we, Nick, but yeah, that was that was a wild take. <laughs> just wild uh let's take another break when we come back we're going to do battle over the lakers and the nuggets we will be right back and roll final segment here joined by Harrison Fagan of course Los Angeles Lakers Denver Nuggets both teams that I think had everybody been healthy had all had both of these teams kind of come together at that time it would have been a really really interesting series last year uh I think Gordon sort of changed the equation for Denver when it came to a team like LA uh given just just his strength and given his his physicality but you still have Michael Porter probably defending the other one in the starting lineup. And it's sort of a kind of a, a little bit of a shaky thing when, when you, when you go to Paul Millsap and to Michael Green and, or Nikola Jokic, if they decide to slide LeBron to the four and AD to the five. So let's start with the Lakers first, because th- that is your specialty. That is, that is the, the piece de resistance of, of your uh, coverage over at silver screen and roll over under on DraftKings 52 and a half. ESPN forecast 53 and 29, the rust trade, where do you stand on the rust trade and, and sort of the pieces that they gave up the flexibility that they gave up with the different rotation pieces versus getting a third star here that doesn't necessarily fit perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's completely fair analysis. I, you know, so when the rust trade went down, I was probably a bigger proponent of it than the consensus on Lakers Twitter, just because I I sort of tend to agree with the team that they needed a little bit more at point guard. I don't think that Dennis Schroeder was the answer. Like we saw that in the playoffs. He just clearly was not. And again, that was after, you know, his second health and safety protocols absence of the season. And, but again, like just, I just, you know, you, it was hard to watch that series and be like, oh yeah, Dennis Schroeder, you know, just run it back, whatever. You know, I kind of was with the team and hey, let's try and get a, you know, an upgrade here. Let's get like a true kind of superstar. LeBron's going to need someone to carry a little bit more of the ball handling load as he continues to age. You know, I understand that he has this reputation as a Terminator, but you know, at some point we kind of have to expect that he's going to fall off. And the Lakers, this is something that since LeBron came aboard, they've been trying to get to, you know, varying levels of success 
success, they've been trying to get other playmakers to kind of ease the load on him. You know, the, the year that he came, they had Lonzo, they had Lance Stevenson, you know, they had like a number of other ball handlers and guys. And like, again, Lance was out of the league after that year, but they certainly- uh, they Good memories, in. man. Good yeah, memories the, of, of never, Lance, old Lance Stevenson. <laughs> yeah, never never forget LeBron's nickname for that team, Mud. Uh, misunderstood, determined, and ta- underappreciated and talented or whatever. I forget what that acronym stood for, but it was M-U-D-D was uh, his his name because they the were Lakers dirty team. and gross yeah i don't just know. didn't yeah. work <laughs> yeah no that was like preseason. it was like it was some lebronism of you know the, the man is the goat of giving terrible nicknames um but he you know they've been trying to get this secondary ball you know with Schroeder last year this is something that he and the team are clearly you know they want for him and so the advantage i felt like of getting someone like russ or trading for that guy versus doing a more complicated sign and trade for your chris paul's your kyle lowry's you know your uh, name x that was in the market this summer is that you did not hard cap yourself and you were able to go over the cap still to re-sign the guys that you had kind of going out like most likely not Schroeder um right because you're replacing him and he made it very clear all last year that he doesn't want to come off the bench with the Lakers apparently he wants to do so in Boston after the market fell out from under him it's funny how that stuff works um and but like you have, uh, you know, you could keep Caruso, you can keep THT, you can re-sign these other free agents that you have and sort of kind of run it, not completely run it back. You're a different team, but you're able to kind of keep some of these important role players for yourself. Ultimately, that is not completely what they did. They uh, let Caruso go for nothing. You know, they did end up re-signing THT at the very least. They used the mid-level on Kendrick Nunn. Uh, so, like, I think that they, and they also, you know, they got Malik Monk. They got a variety. They got Wayne Ellington. Like, they got shooters, I think, to offset, you know. They should have shooters that they can put in these smaller lineups around LeBron, AD, and Russ, where they can kind of get enough spacing to make that work. And honestly, probably make it pretty dynamite offensively because you can get enough shooting out there to mitigate those guys. It's just, I wonder about it during the games when, uh, you know, they're playing big with, you know, your Dwight's, your DeAndre Jordan's, you know, what, where is Russ going? And, you know, you can't completely sag off of him because he'll get a head start going to the basket. Like that's something that he can do. But I think that during the regular season, you know, I'm, maybe I'm more unsure about this team than I've been in several years uh, since the first season they had LeBron, like the AD team, the first LeBron and AD team that won the title. I was very, very sure that they were going to be really good regular season team, really good playoff team. We'll see where they end up. They ended up right. winning the title. And then last year's team, I was incredibly confident in, even if I thought they'd take a step back in the regular season, um, they obviously, the injuries ended up being too much. And that's kind of an open question there. But I think Russ can help just in the sense of, you need a guy to take some ball handling pressure off LeBron. I think that he has become... You know, his contract is obviously an albatross in a vacuum, but the Lakers are not paying his con like they don't have choice to give, you know, 30 some million to point guard X or give it to Russ. Right. It's like they can right. well, you can only get the guys that you can trade for. And I think it's sort of like the the Gordon extension conversation that you're having in Denver. It's like, is this guy a good player who can help the team. I think, you know, with Gordon, that answer is a little bit more clear cut because he's kind of more naturally slotted into that kind of third role. Once Jamal Murray comes back, than I think Russ has ever been slotted into it. But I, you know, I think that there are questions in terms of, you know, it's the offense is going to look like a clogged toilet at times when they play big. But I do think that this is a team that with their athleticism and with their speed and their ability, if they can get enough stops to really get out and transition, they're going to be really, really good. 
solid. And I also think that, look, if there was any time that Russ was going to commit to, I'm going to do some off-ball stuff. It's not going to be the primary thing that I do, but I will cut to the basket every once in a while. And I will do some of the these kind of more role player things to make this all work. You know, like we talked about when we, you know, when me, LeBron and AD were sitting together planning this out, you know, I can't imagine that these guys all decided, Hey, let's play together without considering like, Hey, you know, maybe the ball is going to be in my hands a little less. And with LeBron, that's always complicated because I feel like preseason, he always wants the ball out of his hands. And then he sees someone else dribbling and making bad decisions every so often. And he's like, wait, I should dribble. And then that guy kind of gets marginalized. So, you know, we'll see how it ultimately works out, but I'm optimistic. They're going to be very good. And I think they're pretty clearly the best team in the West. Interesting. Uh, One thing I will say the, the Russ edition certainly kind of, it it makes the pecking order a lot clearer. LeBron's your, your main guy. Anthony Davis is going to be your second option. Russ is going to be your third option. Ooh, but does, anytime, Russ, does Russ know that? Are we are we sure uh, that Russ is? I I think that Russ knows that. I think that I think I think probably. Yeah, but you know, in, that, until we see until we see it, there's part of me that's like Russ is. He's like, yeah, I got to defer to LeBron. But you know, I guess I got to be a number two again on this team. What I will say is that he, he's going to be in in a lot easier of a situation. I think Anthony Davis is actually in an easy situation here where if he's playing center, he's probably okay to take a little bit less shots because he's going to be dedicating a lot more time defensively and just, just trying to be as, as good of a defensive impact player as possible, spacing the floor a little bit. Maybe it's not as much ball handling. Maybe it's more of a uh, pick and roll, pick and pop scenario, but it's going to be really interesting to see how all three of those guys work together. But when there are only two of them on the court, that's pretty easy too. You just yeah, go. I was, pick that's and roll. what I was gonna. I was gonna say is like one. Honestly, it, it's funny because the you know whenever you have any combination of two on the court, that's like all of a sudden a incredibly dynamic you know offensive team and whatever. It's a matter of like how do you make it, and you have to go small. I think to make it work offensively at a really high level, you know, with AD playing center, whether LeBron's the four or the three, it kind of doesn't matter as long as if it's a like size guy like Trevor Ariza or Melo, you know, or one of those guys alongside him. Like that kind of almost doesn't. You know, you know, if it's Kent Bazemore at the three, then maybe you're a little undersized, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, but Russ is those non-LeBron minutes have been a consistent Achilles heel for the Lakers. And, you know, Denver got to see this up close and personal in the Western conference finals a number of years ago, like they would destroy during the, whatever, you know, two minutes or three minutes or whatever that LeBron would sit before he had to check himself back into the game. And it's just, you know, AD is, one of the best complimentary players, I think, in NBA history, one of the better complimentary stars in NBA history. But because he is a big man and he's not like a Jokic operate out of the post, like I am basically a point guard in a seven-footer's body that can kind of just operate your whole offense. Like he's he's a okay passer, but he's not anywhere close to that level. Um, he obviously is better at other things, but he's not that guy in terms of like that you can just operate your offense around and run it through him. And they've had right. a lot of ugly possessions where it's like, hey, just post up AD and it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Um, Russ being on the floor for those previously no LeBron minutes, but Russ and AD minutes, like they should wreck opposing team benches during those minutes. And that's one of the stretches that I'm most excited to watch them, honestly, and just see how that works and how much like those two can help each other. What's going to be the starting lineup for this team, do you think? And and what do you think are going to be their go-to in the playoffs? Yeah. So starting lineup is, uh, this is a guess because I really don't know. You know, I honestly, I thought it was going to be AD starting at the five until they added DJ. 
Um, but because when they added Jordan, you know, and AD made a bit, I don't know if you saw this, but Nuggets fans will enjoy this. AD made a big thing at uh, Jordan's press conference of going up and thanking Rob Palinka uh, during the press conference for adding DeAndre Jordan. And you factor in that public display of faith, uh, you know, and you factor in that AD historically has been, you know, shall we say reticent to play center full time, uh, which, you know, hey, everybody's got to do what they're comfortable with. I get like, you know, there's we can't completely disregard how players feel about what their positions are, even if I think sometimes they do have to be poked and prodded into sometimes doing what's best for them. But again, you can't completely disregard it. But you factor in that you factor in that I don't think that Jordan sought a buyout from the Nets, you know, or a trade or whatever, an exit from the Nets to not play in L.A. That would not really track to me. So my guess is that Jordan is the starter. Dwight goes back into kind of that, like, you know, uh, but again, you could pick either of those two. I'm not really sure, but I think they will start big with one of those two at center, AD at the four, LeBron at the three, uh, Russ at point guard, obviously. And the shooting guard is also kind of an open question. Um, my guess right now would be um, none or Ellington, but I guess like, we'll see. I, I think, if I had to guess right now, I would probably guess Ellington. Just like, I think they'll want another vet, like probably the best shooter of the bunch, give him a real chance to prove himself. But you could also tell me that Ellington was out of the rotation and just an emergency, you know, insurance policy. And I could believe that too. I mean, they have a lot of questions about this rotation, I think. And it's it's a really deep team, but that also creates, you know, good problems, problems for Frank Vogel and the coaching staff to figure out. I really like Monk on this team. I think that he's a guy who's going to really shine. I just can't uh, see him starting. I, you know, just with how bad he is defensively. But yeah, I really, really, he's honestly the offseason addition that, uh, other than Westbrook, that I'm most excited about just because I think he gives them something they haven't really had the last couple of years in terms of just like this, like, Thunderbolt scorer who can also get to the basket. You know, he can do some of the things that KCP did offensively in terms of running off screens, hitting threes, things like that. But KCP, for as much as, you know, I, I have a running bit where I say that KCP has one moment to game where he hallucinates that he's LeBron. And it's like, <laughs> it either results in like an a incredible sports center highlight dunk or the worst play you have ever seen. And you, if you just saw that, you would think KCP doesn't know how to play basketball. Um, Monk can actually get to the basket and dunk it and like cha- and challenge like he has some ups and uh you know they just haven't had a weapon like that and i'm excited to see how they use him kcp may think he's lebron but but monk definitely thinks he's kobe or jordan like there's definitely like like <laughs> I'm that, not saying kcp thinks he's lebron i'm saying for one <laughs> possession a game kcp is like oh my god lebron is possessing my body and like you know i remember his first season here he this is even pre-lebron like he uh he tried to throw a lob off the backboard to himself on the break and it hit the top of the shot clock and got stuck there and it's one of the most incredible plays live I have ever met. I have ever witnessed. Like you should look this up. Maybe oh, it didn't man. get stuck. Maybe it just bounced off. I don't I, like the, my memory is fuzzy, but I remember I was near courtside. It was some of the best seats I've ever gotten while credentialed. And I just got to witness greatness, you know? And it's like, sometimes it results in him dunking on five people. And sometimes it's a wedgie against the shot clock. And you just, you don't know what's going to happen. Let's transition over to Denver before we talk <laughs> about the matchup between these two teams. Um, over under for Denver on DK is 47 and a half ESPN forecasts them at 50 and 32. I think that sounds like that's fine. Like I, I, I just don't know how this team is going to react to uh, Jamal being out for a significant period of time. Like, like I don't think Jamal is as important for the regular season for them as he is for the playoffs, for just sure. because they have a great formula with Jokic there and, 
Morris can do a lot of the things that that they need to have happen with them, and Barton can do some of the scoring. But the biggest question, I think, with this group, when does or when will Jamal Murray come back and return to full strength? And like we talked about it like during this, or maybe it was before, uh, we don't know. Like we, we just don't know yeah. what, what he's ultimately going to look like when he comes back and then when the playoffs roll around. And perhaps that conversation changes and, and maybe our perspective on this team changes as, as we kind of know what that looks like. And I, I just have struggled to get away from full faith in Jamal Murray at this point. I, I, I was one of the only uh not only, but one of the, one of the Nuggets media members who was just like, "Hey, look, this this Max is going to work out. I know he started slow this year. This is going to happen, and and it it worked out to to say the least. But he has proven that when he's at full strength and when he's in playoff mode, uh, he can go up against anybody. He went up against LeBron and Anthony Davis, and and I thought he lived to tell the tale in that series. Like it wasn't a it certainly wasn't a poor showing by any stretch of the word. I think he averaged like 25 and seven in that series. Um, And that was his third best series. I think that's, let let me get let me just get your opinion on Michael Porter at this point. Like what, what were your thoughts just watching him in the playoffs and and how he struggled and what do you think he's going to look like with a larger role with more confidence, potentially, I think he's going to have a max contract in his pocket by the time the, the extension deadline rolls around. Uh, what do you think is going to look like this season? You know, I, I think a lot of, we see this with a, a lot of young guys, you know, Devin Booker was very much the, and DeAndre Ayton and like those guys, they were very much the exception rather than the rule. Like usually these kind of young guys, like they have these moments where they kind of, you know, the, the ass gets too big in the playoffs and they have to learn and they have to grow and develop from that. And that's how they get better. And, you know, I understand that you mentioned he was not at a hundred percent full strength, but also like, you know, he, he struggled. And they're yeah. going to be, yeah. and he was thrust into too big of a role, like a bigger role than he was, I think, ready to play at that point midstream with very little time to plan with not the greatest supporting cast by that point. And like, there were just all kinds of things working against him. He is obviously, you know, as pure as they get in terms of as a scorer. And, you know, I think that he could continue to kind of, I would expect the step forward from him this year. I think I'm sure he's, you know, kind of been working all off season and trying to make sure that that doesn't happen again, you know, in terms of what happened to the nuggets and that he's ready the next time they really need him. And, you know, I just think, you know, with him and, you know, when you're building Jokic is a guy that when he's the only guy out there, I think that you can game plan for him in the playoffs. Like we saw that, you know, as long as you're not Portland and you have like some semblance and defense, you can, you can figure out some things to limit him in the playoffs, but from a night to night, basis in the regular season teams don't plan that specifically and that's going to be you know really really good for Denver you know I I think MPJ is going to help that I think he probably takes another step forward I think Gordon probably continues to settle into his role kind of get used to playing with these guys we see that that chemistry stuff you know sometimes having the extension in hand too can kind of help and you know it's like okay this is where I am got to work on fitting into this role the team envisions for me and you know I I think Mike Malone's a really good coach Jokic is obviously really good this team's going to be good in the regular season and I still think that they are, this isn't what you asked me, but I still think that they are 
like a move away from, you know, true title contention, but that move could be Murray comes back and he's completely healthy, but they need some, like they need some level of reinforcement, you know, in terms of dynamism offensively to get infused into this roster, like whether that's, you know, a midseason trade for Dame or something like that. Uh, you know, if he starts getting disgruntled and like asking out and whatever, or like if that is Murray coming back and looking, you know, maybe not his full self like he was in the playoffs two years ago, but, you know, 80% of that or 70% of that. They just need like a little bit more than they have right now for like true contention in the West. And Murray could be that piece, but it's also like that's a big ass coming right off the ACL thing. When you're talking about dynamism, do you really mean like off the dribble scoring, somebody who can run, pick and roll, things like that? Yeah, I just think like that's not MPJ's game necessarily. And it's not like Gordon, you know, he can do some of that, but it's not his biggest strength. Like if you're asking him to do that, you're probably not best utilizing him, even if he can do it. And, you know, I just think that they need that kind of one more, you know, I don't want to say true point guard because Murray kind of, you know, flouts that uh, descriptor a little bit, but they need one more, like they need another point guard, like a guy who can kind of get them into their offense and score and like just kind of give them, uh, you know, like that creative creative attack and that creative infusion in the backcourt that they don't really have. Obviously they have a ton of creativity in Jokic, but they probably need like one more guy who can kind of create something for himself and others as, as oversimplified as that is. I think you can, you can definitely make that case. There's definitely a, especially if Murray isn't at like all-star level Murray or, or, or approaching that level during this upcoming season, when he comes back, then you're going to need somebody who can do that. You're going to need somebody who can provide a little bit of variation. And there's a lot of faith that's been put into Will Barton uh, where he can potentially handle some, some of that and a little bit of an extended role there. Monte Morris is going to start in place and, it's it's going to be, I think, Monte Morris's fourth season, fifth season. I, I can't remember there, but uh, there, there's some upward potential there. There's another guy, Bones Highland, who they just drafted that you, you could potentially see. One of my favorite see. interviews of the, of the pre-draft <laughs> process. Bones is a joy. He was a lot of fun. He's just, he's just bubbly. He's still so young, so, yeah. so young. But uh, people grow up very quickly in this league, and if he proves to be at least a little bit more ready and maybe it's not to the level of a Dame or somebody like that, like clearly, clearly not. Oh, you but... think maybe, maybe it's not to the level of a Dame. Like you're that <laughs> high on bone Tyler. Like, you know, he could, but maybe not, you know, we gotta be reasonable. He may not be Damian Lillard this year. I, I, I Kyle Kuzma, if, if he reaches his potential, he could be Jason Tatum someday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that summer league was great. Uh, uh, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm uh, I think that if you're talking about like filling in on the margins a little bit, uh, I think he's one of those guys that could potentially do that. They also have some uh, confidence, I would say, in PJ Dozier to be able to do something similar. Uh, but you're right. Like if, if it's not at that starting caliber level, if it's not at that all-star caliber level, then it's going to be a lot of pressure. You're putting a lot of stuff on Michael Porter. You're putting a, just an infinitesimal amount of pressure on Nikola Jokic again. And I think one of the biggest questions for this team is if Michael Porter can continue to expand his game, not just do a lot of the things that he's known for, but potentially handle the basketball a little bit more, run some pick and roll, do some stuff off the dribble that, like you said, hey, might might fill in the gaps a little bit better for when Murray comes back and give him a little bit of leeway too. Um, defense is going to be a question with this group. Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, PJ Dozier, that's going to be a 
Denver's going to be trying to be good enough against everybody, but but there are some matchup concerns for them. like yeah that that's a yeah. that was a really good pickup for that if he can you know continue like, uh, all these vets you know eventually they just have one year where they completely fall off the cliff so you know maybe with Denver's luck it seems like of late maybe that'll be this year but you know in a vacuum that looks like a really good ad in terms of if you're trying to get a little bit better defensively. Counterpoint: The Lakers have. Eight guys who have over twelve years of experience in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, it's like, it's like Mello said. You know, like they, it's you know, they're like Italian grandmas that are nine hundred years old. Like once, once that you're not going to tell them they're too old if they're in the kitchen and they're cooking. You know, <laughs> like they're all gonna uh, like uh, the Italian grandmas. That, that uh, that's actually I think my new leader in the clubhouse for uh like the Lakers bench unit when they go like all all vets coming in off the bench. Um, you know, the Italian grandmas like they're gonna help each other cook. You know, they're gonna kind of I, help each other ease the load help each other make the meatballs the spaghetti all that i can't wait for Jokic to reverse dunk on mellow in the playoffs that's gonna be great <laughs> that's gonna be one of my favorite moments right then, there and then that'll be his statue one day in denver like mellow will finally get his statue and it's just being dunked on by Jokic. <laughs> oh man that's they invite that's him to good. the unveiling yeah oh yeah that would be funny like we're finally getting just you. rip the curtain off Oh, the surprise, the, 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 yeah. oh, the pain. With Masai um, Ujiri cheering it on from courtside, you know. Let's say, let's say that Jamal Murray comes back to the point where he's, he's playing at like pre-bubble level. Uh, not, not like, like about 19, four and five, something, something akin to that. Porter's averaging 24, Jokic is averaging 26 and doing his thing. Assuming that that starting lineup is intact for Denver and Murray is in it and the Lakers are facing off against them. What do you think are some of the interesting matchups there? And and who do you think comes out on top? Well, I, I think it's who kind of gets attacked more uh, like Westbrook and Murray both kind of stand out there again. Like they're both guys that are going to try on defense during the playoffs, but that's not, that's never been either of their kind of stronger ends of the floor. So I do think that, um, you know, like that is an interesting one in terms of like matchup hunting and those kind of things. And just like, also, you know, uh, can the Lakers do enough with kind of their big body, similar to what we saw in the previous Western conference finals to kind of frustrate Jokic, get under his skin a little bit, get him in, you know, a little bit of cheap foul trouble, things like that with like, you know, we've seen that Dwight can flop with the best of them and, you know, be an irritant and all that stuff. And like, can they just get him off kilter just enough that like, then when you kind of come in with those small minutes with AD where, you know, he can kind of dominate on the offensive end of the floor, you get all the spacing around, that's enough scoring where, and then you limit him enough defensively in those other minutes that you can kind of tilt the math in your favor a little bit. I think that there, there's definitely merit to that uh, it, on Denver's end of things that if they have a guy like Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan in there, then they're going to be running pick and roll at that guy for a lot of this. And a trying smart to keep, decision, I would say. <laughs> trying to keep Anthony Davis out of it, trying to keep LeBron out of it, uh, just maybe potentially attacking Westbrook, like you said. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting series. I think that's, one of Denver's that's big... That's the tough thing, though, is like trying to trying to get AD out of it. It's like he is 
maybe like the best help defender in NBA, maybe not in NBA history, but he is up there. Mm -hmm. He is in like, if you're talking about guys in terms of recovering, especially when they're at like full physical peak operating in playoff mode, all of that stuff, like AD is a hard guy to get out of the play when he wants to get back involved in it. That was one of the things, you know, we did a story uh, last week, Jacob Rude, my colleague at Silver Screen and Roll, kind of going back and looking at that Rockets playoff series and like, okay, how did the Lakers limit Russ and why would they want the guy that we saw in that second round? And it turned out like, you know, part of the answer was Russ just was not quite at like physical. He was not really at his physical peak. He was coming off of having COVID. He had the calf injury that had kept him out of a number of games in the previous series. Like he just was not fully himself. But the other thing that allowed the Lakers to defend him was AD is one of the few guys that you can just be like, okay, that seven feet tall that you can be like, okay, you're the primary defender on Russell Westbrook now. And, you know, you're going to just sag off of him. You're going to help blow up everything in the paint when they try to get there. And when he tries to get a runway to the basket and attack, like you're going to, like, you're going to dare him to shoot. And if he doesn't shoot, you're going to be able to swallow him up with your length, with your foot speed, all of that stuff. Like AD is a guy that is uniquely defensively versatile. And it's just hard to get him out of the play when he doesn't, like when he wants to get back involved. I, I think there are three players in the entire NBA that really stand out as the the elite playoff defenders in the NBA. I think you would go with Draymond. I think you'd go with AD. And I think you'd go with Giannis. And everybody else is just a tier below them. Uh, it's just a very fascinating conversation when it comes to whether the Lakers are going to put him at the five, whether they're going to keep him at the four. How can Denver leverage that? Like, Jokic is somebody who's going to learn from a lot of those things where, oh, wow, AD's sort of flying over when he gets past uh, Dwight Howard, when he gets past DeAndre Jordan. Maybe I should dump it off to Aaron Gordon in the short corner, who's a little bit better at leaping and jumping over somebody like AD than, uh, than Paul Millsap was in that series. So there's a lot of new dynamics that were that are a little bit different from the bubble. Yeah, um, it's going to be it would be a very different series. I feel it would be closer too. I think. Yeah, I think I think so, too. I'd call it a coin flip. I'd say at at peak at peak performance, I'd probably go with the Lakers just because LeBron and AD is such a difficult tandem to beat. Uh, and I think that Porter and Murray probably need a little bit more time uh, just to get back to their or to get into their their peak performance. But, oh, man, like I can't wait for 2022, 2023, that's just going to be the year for, for Denver. <laughs> yeah, and Gordon is an interesting guy in terms of, you know, when we're talking about the change dynamics of this is, you know, they did not have a, I know they had Jeremy Grant, but Gordon is probably, I would say, a better option on LeBron than Jeremy Grant is. Do you feel like that's yeah. fair? You're somebody that's watched him closer. He, yeah, like, yeah, he's he's more physical. He's yeah. more, he's, he's he's a smarter defender by a long way. Yeah. And so I feel like that changes things a little bit just in terms of like you go from having a like unideal answer to maybe one of the better answers in the NBA if you're trying to stop LeBron. And, you know, it, you know they're going to send help and he's not going to be alone out on an island against LeBron. But he's a guy who can, you know, just physical tools wise, probably limit him at least a little bit more than Jeremy Grant could. And the the thing that becomes a little bit of an X factor to me is can, is that enough? You know, you talked about the dump offs and stuff like that. Like, is that extra dose of kind of physicality and rim attacking enough to kind of beat those, you know, when AD tries to recover from his recovery and get back and rotate over and meet guys at the rim and things like, is that enough to kind of sneak that past him or dunk on him and stuff like that? And can the Lakers, you know, with this very overhauled team that we haven't seen play defense together, you know, they were the best defense in the NBA by far. I think that year um, that they ended up beating Denver in the playoffs. It's a very open question. 
question if they're going to be in the top 10 this year. I think they probably still will be. I think they have enough to make that work, but they're not going to be far and away the best defense in the league. You know, I I would be give Frank Vogel a 10 year extension if they actually end up figuring that (laughs) out and give Anthony Davis like a two year retrospective defensive player of the year if they're able to do that. But um so, but if they can get enough stops that they can get out and run, then I think Denver's facing some of the same problems that it had the last time these two teams played, where like the Lakers were just so big and strong and fast and physical in transition that like that creates a bunch of really efficient scoring and efficient points for them. But they have to get the stops to do it. And I think it's a bigger question now than it was that last time that they played, whether or not they can do so. Who chases around Michael Porter in this matchup on the perimeter? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe Kent Bazemore. Um, I, I think he is kind of the guy that they're looking at as like, that is, you know, if we need someone to do something defensively, we need someone to take a tougher matchup. Like that's probably going to be the guy. I don't imagine that it's going to be Trevor Ariza. You know, young Trevor Ariza, as Nuggets fans are well aware, could chase around the perimeter with the best of them and get, you know, late inbound steals and things like that. But the current Trevor Ariza, probably not. So my guess would, my guess would be base more if uh if you know they have to throw someone on him that's a low blow maybe my lebron guy. <laughs> for maybe lebron for like tiny stretches but probably yeah. not for any like lengthy stretch yeah like lebron like one of the things that really shows when when lebron is playing look, defense look, is that he's clamped just... him last time so i'm just saying like it's not like a high wait, wait who clamped him last I'm time i'm just messing with you i just <laughs> I just got every single Nuggets fan to hang up. Right oh, now. that's funny. The, my favorite subplot of that, and tell, tell me if Denver fans noticed this too, but or if you noticed this, but like was Kuz and Michael Porter Jr. deciding that like every minute that they were in the game, they were like, all right, you know, I, I they, they saw the ESPN ad and it's like Kuz, Michael Porter Jr. next on ESPN. And like <laughs> they were, and you know, MPJ was winning that battle every single time. And like Lakers fans were losing their minds at Kuz of like, why are you trying to go shot for shot with this guy? But um, yeah, that was uh that was one of the funniest moments of the That's, Western Conference Finals. One one of the silver linings of that was was watching Michael Porter kind of show his his talent on the big stage and i think that probably changes the dynamic of the series a little bit more uh once again i still think it's a coin flip what, and i still think they, the lakers what do they do when it. lebron calls him out and every single like gets his man into every single pick and roll again um and like mike malone has to yank him off the floor prayer prayer yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shrink the floor and have Nikola Jokic close out like 28 feet to yeah to the to the point guard on on, on that side the lebron uh, thumper as i as, as i have always <laughs> called him uh harrison you have been a fantastic guest thank you for stopping by thank you for taking the time on this long running and and long-winded podcast this has been a a joy to kind of go through disrespect other teams and then talk a bunch of crap to each other yeah no this was that is that is my dream description for a podcast so this was a lot of fun and ryan (laughs) i appreciate the invite it you know we've been talking since that western conference finals and gotten to know each other but it was uh it was fun to finally podcast together and yeah i mean uh, like you said i i have a feeling we're going to be doing a few more of these over the course of the year you ever need a guest let me know We'll do. Uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, everybody. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up. For everybody else, uh, we will be back on Wednesday. I think. I think we either we have a guest or that guest. Uh, I, I actually don't. I don't really remember. So it's everything's been going in, and it's been a whirlwind. I'm trying to apply to apartments. I have. A, I have a great excuse. Oh, uh, no. they, <laughs> yeah, I don't envy you there. 
Oh, good Lord. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. And, and if you stuck around this long, really appreciate you. Uh, we will talk to you guys very soon.